Hey, Jen. Hey, Tina. You ready? I'm ready. Okay, here we go. You're listening to Speaking of Racism. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Before we get started on our episode, I want to set it up a little bit. So today's episode is a conversation between Patty Taylor and three white women who attended our legacy trips in the past. And for those of you who aren't familiar with what legacy trips are, here's a little bit of information for you. So Legacy Trips provides immersive racial and social justice-oriented, spiritually-based experiences visiting historical landmarks such as Montgomery and Selma, Alabama, for the purpose of doing deep inner work in a supportive environment alongside a loving community led by BIPOC teachers where everyone seeks to educate themselves while integrating mindful action against oppressive systems and strategizing ways to affect personal and collective change with the goal of liberation for all. To find out more info, you can go to wetravel.com backslash users backslash legacy dash trips. Each trip is as diverse and unique as the people who host it and those who attend it. But there is a similar thread throughout each and every trip. And that is that it is life-changing. And so as I was listening to this episode in preparation of sharing it with you all, Something that really stood out to me and a theme that really stood out to me was this idea of pilgrimage and the power in moving our bodies in remembrance, moving our bodies as people who will bear witness to the things in the past so that we may understand how they impact us today and continue to move in ways that will disrupt and dismantle systems of oppression. So join me as we listen to Patty and Marla and Pleasance and Nikki share their stories and their experiences of what it was like to take this journey and pilgrimage with Legacy Trips. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Patricia Taylor, and I am the moderator for this conversation of Speaking of Racism. I am honored and excited and thrilled to be here with Nikki, Pleasance, and Marla, who are going to be sharing about their experience as white women who have gone on the legacy trips. For those of you who don't know who I am, again, my name is Patricia or Patty Taylor. Online, you can find me at Patricia underscore A underscore Taylor on Instagram. I am a black woman who has gone on this trip and will actually be hosting the Juneteenth weekend trip that's happening in 2023 from June 16th through 18th. And I cannot wait. It's going to be really powerful and really exciting. But there are a lot of people who have questions about, is this trip for me? How will I feel if I go? Is there a space for me? What's the impact and what's the why? And so there's going to be a few episodes where we'll be talking and having conversations and different moderators talking with different people who have actually gone. And so this is what we're going to do. We're going to talk about it from the perspective of these incredible women who all three happen to be white women, but they made the choice to say yes to be in this space. And I'm going to moderate this conversation as they share. So again, thanks for joining us. And we're going to go ahead and get started. So I will share that in April of this year, 
2022, I had the distinct honor of going on my first legacy trip with Letty, who so many of you all know online at Sincerely Letty, a brilliant Black historian. And Marla and I were on that trip together, and we got to meet in person for the first time. And it was truly a life-changing experience. She and I did a couple um, collaborations after that trip together. We did a IG Live and and there were just it was really, really fruitful and beneficial to hear how the experience was for us. And so now I really want to hear from each of you, when did you all have the opportunity to go? Marla, I know I just told everybody when you did. <laughs> but when did you all have the opportunity to go? And why did you say yes to this trip? I'll start, Patty, since you already talked about our I was trip. Like, kinda, yeah, I kind of yeah. told you. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yes, I went in April 2022, and I had... I had wanted to go on one of these forever. I'm, I can't remember when legacy trips started, but I know that when the, the museum first opened, I really wanted to go. And we lived in Cambodia at the time. And I, um, we came back to visit in the summer of 2018 and had plans to go because my sister lived in South Carolina. We were going to drive from there. And then one of my daughters um, had an allergic reaction, ended up in urgent care. We didn't get to go. And I was so sad. So we moved back in 2020 and then the pandemic of course and so when this opened up it was kind of a last minute thing and um i was a new single mom my husband had left unexpectedly and i was trying to support my family and i thought this is a big money commitment but i had gotten this really good temporary job and it was going to be enough for me to go and i thought you know what i'm doing it so I signed up, I paid the money, then I lost the job <laughs> right after that. <laughs> but it was fine because it, it all worked out. But um, I it was a six-hour drive for me. I, I drove uh, myself, had a lot of time in the car to listen to podcasts, got there. And um, it, it was everything that I hoped it would be and more. I love meeting you, Patty. It was really an honor to be there with you. Um, at your first time being there. Um, and then the other white women I met on the trip too was, was incredible. And I, I talk a lot about the two women, the two Anns who were in their seventies and what an inspiration they were to me. And, um, yeah, it's, it's life changing, like you said, and I, I want to give the rest of my life trying to get as many people as I can to go there. I'm Pleasance, and I had the pleasure and privilege um, of attending in December 2021. I feel emotional even just kind of bringing it up and starting to talk about it again because it's so powerful. The reason I decided to go and spend my money and time and effort is... um, From the moment I heard about these trips, I knew it was going to be part of my path and part of my learning and growing. Um, And I am someone who deeply honors pilgrimage as prayer, as um, really reverence to facing history. And I believe that one of the ways that we can start to really shift culture white supremacy, racism, anti-Semitism, so many of the isms that we're dealing with um, require us to actually go back and 
be part of history and learn and do it in shared diverse spaces. So um, do it with different voices, different ages, different colors, different backgrounds. I really want to be in communities of learning and growing and healing that really honored, um, honor and see difference as a place to practice sacred listening and, and evolving together. Um, and so my particular trip was extremely interesting for my perspective be, because something I wasn't expecting, um, our leaders were Corey and Nandi and Tina came and it was phenomenal. Um, and the other participants in the trip all had a very similar thread of being from white evangelical backgrounds. And I am a super Jew, as I like to say, I'm very Jewish. I love being Jewish. Um, and so the, the way in which we could actually have black history, um, white Christian history, weaving Jewish threads. Like for me, I have the chills thinking about just the way we came together, learning together, healing together, opening together. Um, one night Nandi was singing to us and they have such a strong voice and um, story. So I'm like Marla on the on the bandwagon of everyone. Uh, I believe everyone should do this trip, and that it is incredibly powerful. Um, and to really encourage people to spend the money and time um, to do this really deep work. I live on Piscataway land, otherwise known as Washington D.C. So it was a flight and a drive, and I believe that's also part of the commitment. Now, Nikki, before you um, begin to share, now you and Pleasance were on the same trip. That was correct. And that was in 2021. Mm -hmm. So I'm just curious, with all that happened, the uprising of 2020, like how did that impact, if you could also, as you explain, how that impacted your mindset going into this trip in 2021 on the heels of all that took place that summer? Yeah, so I'm Nikki Pappas, and yes, I went on the trip with Pleasance and Corey and Nandi leading the trip, and what a sweet surprise that Tina was there too. And I'll say I went to the museum and memorial in 2018, and so I knew once I heard about the legacy trips that I wanted to go back and to do it through the legacy trips that I wanted to do that. And my husband actually came with me on this trip. And so, yeah, I think that part of it for me was how I had gone in 2018 and didn't really have a way of reintegrating back into life after going on such a powerful trip and didn't have community like I needed. I went with some friends But I don't think any of us were really equipped for how to move that experience through our bodies, how to think about it in productive ways. And so, yeah, I know that for me, I was just really drawn to Tina and the way Tina approaches humanity and stories and all of those things and keeping those things at the center. And so I'll just say that for me, thinking on all that happened in 2020 and how I had started kind of my journey more intentionally in 2017. But I 
would get overwhelmed and sort of ghost the process and ghost the healing, didn't even understand all that is really connected. Once I started my anti-racism journey, didn't understand the healing I should be doing and all of those things. So deciding to go on this trip, yeah, like Pleasant's like right now, well, even I think as I was preparing to get on this call, I just want to name that I've been feeling extra tender today. And I think just knowing my body, knowing that I would be talking about this and those experiences. So yeah, I think that for me, 2020 really brought to the forefront how much community I needed and how much accountability to myself You know, I'm from a white evangelical background, and we would talk a lot about accountability with God and other people, but I wasn't really equipped for how to be accountable to myself. And so I think that a part of 2020 for me was seeing how much I needed to hold myself accountable for my healing and for repairing what I can in the world around me and as a parent with three young kids. And so... Yeah, I think that that's what I'll say about that. And I don't know if anybody had something extra there, but yeah. I do have a question for whoever wants to take it because I've heard a common thread of connection and Pleasance. I love what you said of like, hey, I was the super Jew. Okay. And, and all these people came from like this white evangelical world, but everyone was there for a purpose. And I'm wondering as white women coming into a space that is, you know, led and championed without question, like blackness is going to be like first and foremost and primary, like we're going to honor the the space of black women. You know, was there any bit of intimidation or fear or worry about like, uh, like how, how do I respond to what I'm going to see? And, and like, am I going to take up too much space or, or how do I navigate all that I'm processing in the presence of, you know, black or, or other BIPOC individuals you know, and and wanting to both honor where you are while also knowing that there are people who are experiencing very differently because of how close to home it's hitting, um, being in black and brown skin. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll answer that a little bit. I can't remember if, if we talked about this at, like in one of our sessions, or if I'm just thinking of what I was thinking about. Um, but we hear a lot about white woman tears. And I remember thinking, like the the different kinds of white woman tears, like white woman tears. Um, I mean, it's not like there's just bad kind and good kind, but feeling a lot of emotions. But then the the history behind w- white women crying to to get their way, to get sympathy, maybe sympathy they don't deserve, maybe centering themselves, bringing the attention to themselves. And I I remember feeling how how am I going to um, like regulate my emotion or keep it under control or not make my tears the the center of this when I am going into this very differently from from a black woman and like you Patty you had this was your first time so Letty was leading us and she'd been multiple times but this was your first time and just not wanting my emotion and grief to to be center but also <clears throat> excuse me also to to honor it and to recognize it. So just holding all of those things um, together and and letting myself feel all of the things, whether it was guilt by association, even though like all that healing and you, you we say we don't 
We don't want to hold on to shame and guilt and all these things. Just letting myself feel what I felt at the time and, and trying to, to honor that. And, um, there were tears. It, it was hard. I, um, I'm a, I'm a naturally empathetic person. It's very hard for me sometimes to see suffering and pain. And um, I just wanted to feel all of it to try to put myself in, in people's shoes to just to remember to hold on to it. Um, so many times that the, the moms really got to me. That's how I, those are the people I related to the most, the, the moms who are watching their beloved children ripped from their arms, sold. Um, and yeah, I don't remember the question <laughs> now, but <laughs> no, that, was, that, that was a lot of what I felt. Yeah. And I think one thing that I appreciated, you know, on our trip and it's something I plan to incorporate when I lead, when I facilitate my own is that letting name that, you know, from the beginning, like I'm naming that this group was, um, our group was all white women in terms of those who were going for the experience and then me and then Letty as the facilitator and then Chelsea, uh, who is Tina's daughter. Um, and that like we were the only black women present. And I just loved how she named that up front. And I think I may have shared this on our live and then I would love to hear from, you know, Pleasance or Nikki, if you have any more thoughts on this, but I have um, a, an acquaintance who had shared about his experience going and going as like a, he realized as he was in it, he was viewing it more like a spectator and not understanding like, this is also my history and as a white man, like this is my history is not just me observing and being like, oh, OK, that's what happened. And just like check off my little like intellectual note <laughs> that this is what's here. And it clicked for him when it came to uh, the display of the jars of soil that was in honor of people who had been lynched in different areas. And they, you know, would collect the soil. And if they had names, they would put the names on the jar. If they didn't have names. They would mark it as unknown. And he said that there was a, a black family or a couple um, near him and they were looking for a specific name and they found that name. And they said, there they are. And it was in that moment that he was like this, like they're not just here spectators. This is their, their ancestors, their lives, their lived experience. This is in their, their bloodline. And then it, it hit him that this is in my bloodline too. Like this is, you know, I, cannot just be a spectator and and make this intellectual I have to feel what I'm feeling as well so I just w wanted to share that and and see if Nikki or, or Pleasance had any other thoughts on that I just want to talk about that land piece real quick because I think mm. the visceral nature of being of listening to the trees and the um, bridge and the wind and being in a place so much trauma and suffering just as I'm I just felt that so deeply and I could not turn away or look away it's not like reading a book and then closing it and then going to the playground with the kids like no it's like this is real <laughs> We have a a book that we use at the Jewish high holidays called like this is real and you're completely unprepared. And that's like exactly how I feel is like this is real and you're completely unprepared. Um, 
and the the physical somatic imprint is very very powerful for the humanization of be of again being better humans and connecting us at a human suffering level of care and compassion and witnessing and not turning away but turning towards each other um i just that's it's something that uh is very very close to my heart in this situation nikki do you want to say anything else about being there <laughs> yeah and, and nikki I'm, I'm particularly curious um since you went before but you said like you went with friends and then stepping into this space where um you know i don't know you and pleasance if you had a previous relationship or not but just going walking in and being like okay i've done this but also i've never done it like this before mm-hmm. and how that was for you yeah, that's exactly. I was gonna kind of compare the two experiences because that's mm-hmm. what that's what I do now. <laughs> like when I think about it, even, yeah, yeah. Because I was on Pleasance's podcast, getting to share, and yeah, I just kept juxtaposing the two experiences because they were so different. And oh, I just love like that part that Marla talked about. I think it was Letty who I heard talk about. There's a difference between white woman tears and human tears, and I didn't have that language before when I went on that first trip. And on my first trip, I was with um, three other friends, two who, you know, uh, you know, one is white like me, one who is connecting with her Lumbee indigenous roots and one who's Asian American, but no black women with us on our trip and going and still very much part of white evangelicalism when I went in 2018, still connected to a white evangelical church and for anyone who knows about like purity culture and things that we get taught about modesty and all those things on the day we were going to the museum I put on this like jumper and my bra strap was showing and I started crying like thinking because this is how like self-centered the whole Mm. thing is like making me focus on what my body looks like and I'm like oh I don't want to like It was very self-centered, centering myself and about to go into this experience thinking like, I don't want someone to see my bra strap and get distracted by what's going on. (laughs) And so, yeah, and like being worried about how are people going to perceive me? And I don't want to be a distraction in that space. But still, again, very self-centered and caring a lot about myself going into that situation versus going on the legacy trip. And Like you were asking, Patty, about having Black people and Black women and, you know, uh, yeah, just our, you know, Nandi and Corey and Tina there Mm. facilitating the trip. It was kind of just coming out of white evangelicalism and this journey of, like I said, learning how to be accountable to myself, I think also was a part of learning to take responsibility for my own emotions and my own emotional regulation so that I could go on a trip through the like, like go on this legacy trip and be aware of how not to center myself, even in a way that's about like, what, what am I wearing? And to be able to not talk or present myself in a way that would communicate that people need to, that the black people present need to care for my emotional responses. And yeah, I just don't think that 2018 Nikki would have 
like I just wasn't ready. It, I, I, I want everyone to go on this trip. I want everyone to experience what I experienced. But then it's also interesting to look back on what the experience was like for me in 2018 versus 2021 and my journey between those two trips and yeah, just what was different about them for me. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, that's really real and and honest and and raw and and I want to hear more of that because this is nothing about this is like let's tie it up in a bow. <laughs> you know, nothing about it is oh, this is real neat, it's going to be easy and I have heard stories I have heard of of trips and experiences um not directly through legacy trips per se, but you know, where that has happened where the attention has then gone to said white woman who's broken down and then a black person is comforting them in the middle of them also trying to process like their trauma and and what how they've been triggered and what's going on and and there's a very different um understanding of we are all human and we are feeling and acknowledging what we are feeling in our humanness rather than I need to be the center of attention as I am processing this and and I'm unaware of who is around me and who really I should hold the space for. And so I just, I really do appreciate you sharing that. Marla, I was thinking about you, what you were sharing a bit about our trip and the two Anns who we adore, like everyone on the trip was fantastic. And, and it really does bond you. Like it really does uh, bond you to the individuals that, that, that you go through this type of experience with, but they were two women in their seventies who were, you know, friends. I think one of them were like, they worked together for how many, like 30 years, something like that. And I may not be getting every, you know, yeah. uh, detail correct, but I think one Anne said to the other Anne, like, let's do this. And the other Anne wasn't exactly sure what this was, but <laughs> she was like, let's yeah. do it. Um, and then by the end, that Anne was talking about, I, I don't know if I can still be in, in, you know, community with some of these friends I have, you know, and I, I, I that for me, that was mind blowing in such an encouraging way that I needed. I remember so clearly how exhausted I felt going into the trip mm. for all that's been happening for all the reasons things happening personally, but also what's been happening in general. And and as I navigate this, this space, this place, this life as a black woman and to see that and it was just something I know that I needed. And I just wonder if there were like, what was that moment or that thing? I'm sure there were several. Again, we talked before I pressed record <laughs> how a couple of us don't like to pick out like the one favorite thing. <laughs> um, there's too much pressure. But for me, that was something that was so solidified in my brain. Like it's for anyone who would say it's too late or, oh, you know, just we're just going to let the the dead racist uncle die off because you can never change. You know what? All those excuses are out the window. You know, we have these two 70 year old women who are like, we're showing up for this. We're here to learn. We're here to grow. It's never too late. So that was a moment for me that that I will always hold dear. And I just wonder what were some of those moments for you all that you were just like, wow, aha moment. This is so impactful. I'm taking this with me. I will echo. I'll echo the Anne thing. And I also want to say um, we all made the choice to mute our mics so that we weren't distracting, but we're all like nodding our heads and everything. And I feel like <laughs> yes, <laughs> they're missing out. And we're like, yeah, yeah, we're mouthing <laughs> Yes, um, I know. I was going to say, just just go ahead and like hear yeah, all the, the amen corner, you know? The, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but yes, the ands. So Sarah and Tabitha were sisters on the trip and they came all the way from Washington State all the way down to Alabama. So that was also a big deal. And then they stayed 
after so that they could see more of the history around Montgomery and different places. And um, I kind of wish that I had had time to do that or would have been able to take a little more Mm -hmm. time off, but um, it's close for me. So I can, I can go again, but the two aunts for me, yes, it was one of them even had, um, I believe she said she had a black nanny when she was growing up, like maybe someone that lived with her or took care of her um, in North Carolina. And she was getting ready to go on a reunion trip, like a 50 something reunion with all of these friends of hers that she knew were not in the same place that she was. And she was trying to, she was asking questions and trying to figure out how can I engage them? How can we learn at this age? And um, these two women are my parents' ages. And I kind of had given up hope for people like my parents, people that age, white people in their 70s um, in the U.S. And that just really filled me with hope. And I've since met a few more people in their 70s. And I've, I actually have one great uncle who's like the black sheep of my family, but he's 86 years old and has been fighting for gay rights and civil rights his whole life. And, <laughs> and we've recently reconnected. But just just the hope of knowing that it's 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 never too late. And just like this whole... Um, this whole reckoning, like, I know I bought the legacy books that you can buy that have all the photographs because you can't take photographs in there. And one of the things that it says in there, in America, we have resisted a reckoning and how other um, cultures, other countries have set up big things to remember hard parts of their history, things that they have done wrong on the Holocaust in Germany. And what do we do? We, We kind of bury it and we celebrate the good things, or we turn everything good, or we make up lies, or whatever that is. And um, we just, I, I want, I forget where I was going with this, except that we we need to, to learn this, we need to reckon, and it's never too late. Even if you didn't learn these things um, back in school, and we should have learned them, we can learn them now, and we can, there can be a reckoning. I don't know exactly what it'll look like, but um, some days I feel hopeless. And then some days I remember the ants and I feel a lot of hope. I think that, again, like I said this a little bit earlier about pulling this thread around the diversity of voices and stories. I spend a lot of time in um, Jewish justice communities and conversations and scholarship and there's a narrative around we're just not, we've been part of civil rights in America for the whole experience and we're still not doing enough. And there are some um, just very clear ways in which Jewish circles talk about Black and Jewish relations. And there were some elements being in a room with a lot of um, white evangelical um participants where I kind of thought everybody had that lens. Like I was a little in shock around the ways in which some fellow Americans had not been um, educated in truth. And so I was really, really grateful to be, again, gathering with a bunch of different backgrounds and histories so that we could kind of get out of that um lane of just this is what's kind of true with a capital T and and really listen and go deeper that oh that's so interesting did you know this aspect or this aspect and that kind of again human connection of it um 
actually, I will say since I've come back, I've actually been trying to um, be more intentional about being in interspiritual and interfaith conversations and kind of leaving um, just Jewish narratives. Um, and that has felt really important to growing and listening and learning from one another. Yeah. And I want to say that on our trip, so yes, so Pleasance and I were together and that was when we went to the Edmund Pettus Bridge. I think that was the first legacy trip that did that because Corey wanted to go into Selma and Corey asked us to think of a word to describe what people who were crossing the bridge during the Selma to Montgomery marches, like what they might've been feeling. And so that was a really impactful moment for me because as I was walking the word that came to my mind was resolve and just seeing how the people had this abiding commitment to face and fight injustice, even at great cost. And then I heard Pleasant's humming as we were walking back on the bridge, like uh, coming back. And so then I started humming to myself and this song that brings me comfort. And then Pleasant's told me to place my hands on one of the stone columns of the bridge and hear the stories from the stones. And I just, again, to think back to like the journey I've been on and to be able to appreciate that invitation into placing my hands on the stones and just how impactful that experience was to just be still, to listen and to envision what the stones have witnessed, right? And I just want to also say, I, I've took some notes real quick. Like I was thinking about the idea of People who go on these trips, like preparing by doing the outer work of listening to the podcast series, right? Seeing White was one of the things we were told. And preparing by reading Me and White Supremacy by Layla Saad, right? Like doing that outer work is so important. But then also, I think a key piece I was missing for the first few years of my journey was doing that inner work of healing the trauma my body was carrying connected to systems of oppression, like white supremacy, patriarchy, capitalism, and everything connected to those. And so what I've been doing now on my journey is keeping these two words at the forefront, curiosity and compassion. And I think that's really changed how I interact with people who are just starting out on the journey or people who are older, is that if I'm leading with curiosity and compassion, like I think at the beginning of my journey, I was quick to just cut people off. And I think there are certain times where that is completely appropriate and a great response. But uh, Naya Abernathy with The Dignity Effect, how she's doing these aftercare, legacy trip aftercare sessions. And so uh, Marla and I were doing that the past four weeks. And I took this note where Naya talked about boundaries as an aid in establishing beneficial ways of being in relationship, not just cutting someone or something off. And so now I'm leading with curiosity and compassion, and I'm looking for signs of curiosity and compassion in others. Because if someone is displaying curiosity and compassion, then I don't know, I just feel like that's where I'm going to spend my energy is with the people who are leading with those thing, those values that are very important to me. Mm, I love that you named that. And we love Naya. <laughs> Can we just all say we love Naya? And she is going to be leading a trip, facilitating her. a trip herself um, in August. And one thing I want to say, and I think um, Pleasance wanted to hop in, but I don't know like your whole story, Nikki, but 
I do know what it's like coming out of the white evangelical space and curiosity is, is frowned upon. And, and this is that, and you know, to touch, to touch the rock. And I mean, gosh, I got chills. I know you all can't see us, but I'm looking at these faces that are near tears and are nodding profusely. And, and I'm just picturing how many people might be thinking, is that too, like, is that too much? You know, like, like, is it going to be too much for me? Uh, is it going to be too out of my comfort zone? Is it okay for me to, to walk and to feel the rocks and to, and to, and to, to step across that bridge, which we too had a chance to do. And even though she had let facilitated trips before it was Letty's first time doing that component, which was really special. Mm-hmm. But you know, if there's any, I just want us to pause and name that if there's anyone who has come from a space or is in a space where curiosity is, is, not welcomed where mm. um connecting with with ourselves with nature with the ground we walk on is frowned upon i want you to please please pause push through that and know that it's worth it because the connection you will feel and the healing you will receive is going to be so worth it mm. i just wanted to name that because hearing you say that nikki i don't take that for granted that's huge that that from wherever you started that you're at this place now where you're like, I am seeking out curiosity and compassion. And I know that you've had to fight hard to get there. Mm-hmm. So thank you for sharing that. And Pleasance, I would, I would love like, oh, I just wish you all could see their faces, but I would love for you to share where your mind is going after hearing that. There's this moment when Corey was, we were sitting together in a debrief and it was really intense. There was a lot of intensity in the room. And Corey said to us, I'm really just encouraging you all to keep doing your own work. Like that is the next step is keep unpacking the layers of hurt and isolation and trauma. Um, and it just, for me, I just see everything so visually, like I see it as a spiral of like, our traumas connected to the racism and the greed and patriarchy, the, the ways in which these systems of oppression have are so incredibly tied together. And the more that we are able to do our work, we see how deeply interconnected we actually are in that, you know, famous quote about our liberation being bound together. And it just, I feel that so deeply. Um, that that curiosity and compassion and brilliance that Nikki brings with her gifts that she shares with the world um, is part of the care and compassion then that ripples out for her children and future generations. It's so profound. Yeah, and that healing really is for all of us. I, I texted a friend, um, after the trip, it was, I mean, there's so much to experience and then so much to download after you experience it. (laughs) And, and this friend, um, is a white woman. And I just remember saying to her, I don't remember the exact words, um, but the depravity that you see from the harm that was caused during this time I I said, um, you would have to be so intentional and so callous to get a kick out of watching someone dangle as they die. And, oh, actually, I found, that's exactly what I said. I found this text, and I said, and white people don't think they have 
a hell of a lot of healing to do. Like, like that's generational, just as, as my trauma is generational too. We all have that healing to do. And, and this is, um, I think, a major, massive, critically important step in that process. But it's one that must continue, absolutely must continue. And I uh, – go go ahead, Nikki. Well, I just wanted to hop in, like, just thinking about mm-hmm. the white woman perspective in particular. Like, I took some notes before this in preparation and found mm-hmm. these tweets from Joe Lumen. And I just wanted to read these really quick. She said, white women, you've been the damsel in distress the world stops to guard. You've been the reason laws are bent, changed, and adjusted to ensure you are untouched. You've been the prized possession of the patriarchy. You have no idea what it's like to never, ever be protected. And in the comments of that, there was someone who was basically accusing Joe of trying to say that white women haven't experienced trauma. But Basically, Joe was just trying to say, well, you just don't know what it's like to never be protected. So I think another part of like being a white woman and on this journey is to be able to say, yes, I've been harmed. However, also, and I've been the quote, prized possession of the patriarchy, right? And that both can be true. I'm witnessing that in my life at the museum, reading about the stories of black girls and women who were lynched and letting that land on me. And I think too, like, I think just naming the intensity in the room, like Pleasant said, that's so connected to being embodied. And so much of my experience in white evangelicalism was to disembody me, was to disconnect me from my emotions, from my intuition, from to, to, uh, that word of being callous, you know, to callous Mm -hmm. me, to build up calluses in me towards the suffering of other people, because it's like, quote, it's not all bad for me you know, as a white woman. And so mm-hmm. that idea of like Weez, Maisha, and Letty talking about aligning as a white woman, aligning with your whiteness over your liberation as a woman. And yeah, and I just think that in these high control religious environments, really stifling that curiosity in the name of certainty and and how that's rooted in disembodiment. And I just wanted to name that building a relationship with my body and letting her know like she can trust me and I can trust her was huge. And then I, last thing I want to say is on the Finding Our Way podcast, I listened to this episode. I think it was with Sonia Renee Taylor and the idea of the spiral, I think Pleasant's used. And so I think about that, how we revisit so many things on this journey, but it's not this linear thing. And it's like, we're different people as we come around the spiral. Mm. And I don't know that that imagery just is really encouraging to me on my own journey. And so I wanted to share that. Thank you. I'm so glad that you did and pointed out the very important reality of the both and and the nuance there. And I do want to shift a little bit and talk specifically about the memorial for peace and justice. There's legacy museum and then there's the memorial that um, people may refer to as a lynching memorial. And I just have to pause (laughs) as I think about it because I can feel what I felt when I was there. But there's one particular place where they have these placards with reasons why people were lynched. And this is not mathematical, but really like 90% or more were because of something a white woman said. And I, I really do want to go there with you all to see how, how do you wrestle with that tension, that both and, 
how do you do that without, you know, constantly finding yourself in a shame spiral, <laughs> you know, but one where you're, you're walking towards healing and specifically when you got to that part of the trip, what, what was that experience like for you? I'll start. Um, I just want to say this is one of the biggest, um, I don't even know what to call it, I guess, challenges in my life that it has been for the last few years. I don't know the answer. I don't know how to do that. I don't know, um, both as a white woman, as an evangelical Christian, a former evangelical Christian, uh, part of two groups of people and all meshed together as one that have caused so much harm, like harm and death and violence. And reading books about um, the white women who enslaved people and owned people and and just the more and more and more I learn, the more history I uncover, it is, it's so... Um, it's insidious. Like it, it's, it almost feels worse to me. We white women, <laughs> because we have upheld this, like the white evangelical patriarchy, it, it never could have endured as long as it did without us holding it up. Like we literally are the, the reason, not only did we give birth to the children and and take care of the men, but we just, it, it's like a, it, it, this was our life. And I'm kind of combining all of it, like all in the past and then all the way up to, to me, like an actual person. Um, and, and seeing what comfort I get from that, what it brings me, what it gives me. And, and even getting, if I get hints of it not being right, brushing those off because I don't want to mess up what I have, what I've built, what I've helped build. Um, and so that's something it's, it's like a daily thing for me where I, I, I try to work through that. Um, taking care of myself, loving myself while also recognizing all of the harm that my ancestors caused all the way up to me that I actually caused my, my very own self. Um, so I'm kind of hoping that Nikki or Pleasance will have some help <laughs> for me because I, I don't, I don't know the answer. Nikki, do you have all the answers? <laughs> I have a few, but I'll let you go first. <laughs> I mean, I think mine will be short because, um, this was one of the moments as I was walking through where I just had to slow way down, wiggle my toes, start to feel my breath. I um, felt the tendency to want to, again, kind of eject or like leave the body and float away. And I just kept encouraging myself to come back to the body and slow down my walking and breathing and I remember taking some pictures of some of the reasons and I remember sitting for a little and kind of just like meditating with it and, and being with it and really titrating the internal feeling of shame and 
anger, and then breathing out. Again, just kind of this like meditative practice of taking it in and then letting it out. And I remember the kind of imprinting of this because when I came home and I was sharing the trip with my kids, I I remember saying, we're going to, I got tea for everybody. And I was like, we're going to go sit down on the couch. I'm going to share some things with you. And that process of um, sharing the words and the slides and the stories with the kids and them saying, I don't understand, you know, with their questions and curiosity and compassion and just the weaving and the integrating and the part that's most significant here for me physically in this pain is the slowness not the rush um previous versions of me would have come home very very angry and ragey and righteous and like shoved it in everybody's face and then done a lot of action to make it all better real quick um in that kind of um white domination way of like let me just fix it and then it'll be all better and we'll move on so um the slowing down to have the conversation and sit with the discomfort and cry um, the pain of what was happening, not in a now center me, but just quietly with my kids. Like, it, um, and it's still gut wrenching, gut wrenching. Yeah, I just, I had to go look this up because I didn't want to misquote it. Well, first I'll say that, yes, looking at all the reasons, I remember when we sat around that night, Corey pointing out, we know the real reason, right? Like these reasons can be given as this was the quote reason, yeah. but we know the anti-blackness and the white supremacy inherent in each quote reason. And so I think sitting with that, and then I loved Marla bringing up about white women as enslavers and with Letty's book club, you know, we read They Were Her Property by Stephanie Jones Rogers. And, you know, there's also the book uh, My Grandmother's Hands, I think was what it was, by Resma Menikim. And again, getting back to this idea of epigenetically what we carry in our bodies and what I'm seeking to heal in my body and create space in my nervous system so that the people who are connected to me can hopefully benefit from that and create space in their own nervous systems because this just reminds me of, I wanted to read this quote from Rachel Ricketts in her book, Do Better, where she said, since white women aren't used to having their identity or inherent goodness challenged in the way that black women, indigenous women, and other women of color often are, especially cis white women, they are less able to tolerate feeling bad or wrong. But it's a muscle white women are going going to have to flex if they want to be anti-racist. And so I just wanted to like name that, that it's practiced and it's flexing that muscle in community over and over and over again. And like I mentioned earlier that when I didn't have the community, it was really easy to get overwhelmed, to to let the shame and the guilt overtake me to the point of dropping out of the process and trying to ghost the healing. And so I don't know if this answers the question, but that's what came to my mind. Absolutely. I I love that quote that you shared and and the reality that is a muscle that needs to be flexed. Um, I, that's a question that I'm asked more times than I can count 
because I see so many white women who are like, I, I want to do better. I want to do better for my kids. I want to do better for the future. I want to do better for myself and for, you know, the people around me. But, but, but it doesn't feel the way that I, I'm expecting it or wanting it to feel, <laughs> or, <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not a one conversation and done situation, mm-hmm. you know, or I, I've got to protect my innocent children, uh, from, I have to mm-hmm. shield them from this. And I just need that to be named, you know, that you will yeah. grow that muscle grow. You can do it. And I don't say that with any kind of facetious nature or any, you know, at all, like really, I think it's also part of being able to see yourselves as more than, you know, these damsels in distress who need to be protected all the time. Like you yeah. can do this. And, and when you do that, then it really opens up worlds, not just for you, but for your children. And, um, we, I believe are all mothers, just a side note, but I was thinking of that, you know, we're, we're all mothers and, and these are experiences that, that we will hopefully hand down to our children, whether they're, you know, grown or whether they're little and because they are going to see what we're doing, how we're investing our time, how we're growing, how we're healing and how we're interacting with the world around us. And it's, it's just so incredibly important. Oh my goodness. Ah, it's so, so important. Go ahead, Pleasance. Just the community piece, highlighting, highlighting, highlighting. Because I think earlier too, Patty, you asked a bit about, um, can we do that? You know, can, should you do it? Will it be too overwhelming in that piece? And again, this is why I, legacy trips are just so near and dear and trying to spread the word because the community aspect, the digesting and metabolizing together, the being led by Black humans. Um, It's all part of the brilliance that Tina has put together and invited in. Um, Even the way she is sharing leadership and having a lot of different voices um, is so brilliant for the holding and caring and community um, that's part of this work. So just, again, reiterating that community aspect. Yeah. And I think that also for so many people who come on the trips, like, of course, I'm not speaking for everyone, but just our experiences point to this. A lot of us come from spaces, faith-based spaces (laughs) um, in particular, but spaces that don't welcome differences and diversity. And, and there is such an intentionality and there's, there's so much care and compassion with how these trips are, 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 assembled, you know, for lack of a better word, and 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 who um, each trip is for. You know, there are some that are for all genders and um, and those who are, um, you know, non-gender conforming. And then there are some that are just for those who identify as women or who are um, non-binary, but are comfortable in spaces that are geared towards women and just, just covering it all, you know, and I, and there, are, of course, there's a trip for, for black women. And, and I just, I, I love that it's, you can feel it. You can sense it. You know, for me, I know that there's going to be a whole conversation um, that actually I believe it is Letty, who we've talked about a few times, um, who, that is going to be moderating, speaking to black women and their experience. But for me, being the sole black woman experiencing this for the first time in a group of white women, I, I had a lot of different feelings, you know, going into it. How would it be and how would I feel? And and I knew a couple people and I didn't know the rest, but there was such a connection there 
and I told this story when we were debriefing that at one point when I was in one of the rooms watching one of the historical movies that they were sharing and there was a large group, but you know, when you hit that point in the movie where (laughs) uh, everyone clears the room because they've already watched that part (laughs) and there was a large group of black people in there with me. And then I guess they hit the part of the movie where they'd already seen. So they left. And then I was the only black woman in the room. And I felt that like immediately, Mm -hmm. I immediately felt that. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I, I went back to like that kid in me being the only black girl in school when slavery is brought up <laughs> and yeah. you know all the white kids starting to look at me but then Sarah and Tabitha the sisters who were on the trip they walked in and even though we had just met the night before just the night before I immediately exhaled and was like okay mm-hmm. I'm not alone uh, at least I don't even know them like that but I know that they're here they made this commitment I know that they in their own way have already shown that they are for me because they mm-hmm. signed up to be here. And I, I, and every part of me relaxed and mm-hmm. I no longer felt like, Oh gosh, now I'm just going to be that black woman whose all eyes are on her. And, ah! <laughs> and, and that is just something that I, I would love to say you can get in a lot of places, but you, you really can't, you really yeah. and truly cannot. And especially doing something that, is not like light and fluffy, <laughs> you know, it's, it's important, but, but it's also heavy lifting. And so I just, I just really want to name that. And we are going to be coming to the end of this conversation in a few minutes. Uh, I do want to give us some more time though, because there's just so much that we could say, uh, this is a conversation that means so much to all of us. But I I think that we can, all agree how transformational this time was. Yeah. What would you want to see or tell someone, a, a white woman who maybe is from your context or from a different context, about what's so transformational, why this matters? And we've already talked about it for this last hour, but, you know, just, just really what would be that piece, that component that would make this like, why are we all so passionate about every person who can really needs to go on this trip? And just to hear that in your words, um, I think would be wonderful as we kind of wrap things up. I'm going to share something that's it's a, lo- a little bit different, but just the, the whole idea of um, black women, black people um, owning this, running this, being in charge of this. Um, when when I found out how much money it was, I thought, do I have this much money? And um, I'm not someone who has a lot of money. So it was a a big sum for me. But thinking about how when we talk about reparations or making things right, or, or whatever, so many of my black friends are learning alongside me learning about history, often educating other people. And my dream and hope for them is that they could get paid for doing that kind of work if that's the kind of work that they want to do where it's not something they just do because they're black they do it because they want to do it and they get paid for it and then they can they can get paid for that and then they can have free time to relax instead of working a job full time and then learning about black history and US history in their free time and not getting paid so i just encourage people that it's such a 
an important way to to put your money where your mouth is. It speaks volumes. What we'll spend our money on is is huge. And if we want, I don't think we can be serious about anti-racism work and eradicating white supremacy and all of that if we are not digging into our pocketbooks and and paying um, black women in particular. And I just want to talk really quick about the museum that this this museum blew me away. It is a world-class museum. I haven't been to a ton of museums, but the visual effects, the audio, the the immersive experience, the things that you can touch and be a part of. You are there are times when you are on the phone watching an inmate like like they're right in front of you and they're they're talking to you and telling you their story. You are standing in front of enslaved people waiting to go on the auction block and they are talking to you like in a hologram. It's there aren't videos out there and photographs of, of this space because these artists spent months and years doing this and it's not just to be given away. But it's hard. Like someone one of you said to just read a book and, and experience something. You can't do it. Even to hear us talking about it, we cannot do justice to it. You you have to go there. Like I promise you, you walk in there and you experience that for yourself. It like I have chills right now just thinking about it and remembering what it was like and the art and the words and the the photos and the memorabilia and then going to that bridge and like you were saying touching the stone walking on the same bridge that mm. these these heroes of history were there and you get to go there like i i just i just want everybody to to be able to experience it it's time it's past time. Time's up. <laughs> time to go. Yeah, time to face. Yeah. Like it's time. That's you know enough. I sort of feel like enough already. Let's let's keep doing this. Let's put down the excuses. It's time. Yeah, it's way overdue. Enough. Enough harm. Yeah. One other thing that is very. Um, was very apparent in the museum. Thank you for bringing that up, Marla. Is I'm from New England, and there's a lot of again rhetoric about how New England is wasn't involved. So great, you never, you know, we did not have slaves. We're oh, that's just the South's problem. So there's a lot of um, education that needs to be done for residents of history of, of New England in the all up north also, um, and the way in which the museum brings the history to life is so stunning and embodied yeah. and um, creative, really highlighting mm -hmm. Black artists' brilliance mm -hmm. as to where there is no denying um, the incredible creativity, brilliance, artistry, um, thoughtfulness, heartfulness in the educating process. And it can be done yeah. where you can be 
um, learn and grow beyond what we've been told, what I've been told in a way that honors the human spirit. Mm. It is stunning. It is. I just want to hop in real quick, Nikki, before you share, because one thing that that they will tell you is, um, you know, phones. And that's so countercultural to what we are also used to. But I've gone to, and this is not, I mean, they're totally, totally different, but just to illustrate, I've gone to um, the, one of the Van Gogh immersive experiences. And, you know, that, that word immersive is in the name, you know, you expect to go in and to be like, feel like you're in it and you are, but not like this, yeah. like not like this, like this is truly an immersive experience. Like you will never forget what you see in that yeah. museum. You will never forget. You don't need a, a picture to remind you of what you feel and what you see. And, and it take, it transports you. It, it truly mm-hmm. transports you. And, and really like, we're not exaggerating when we say like, you have yeah. to experience it because you will experience it with every part of you. I feel so honored to have been able to moderate this conversation. And, and I do want to emphasize what Nikki just said and what has been stated. This is an invitation. And it's one that has changed all of us for the better. And it's one that we we really genuinely hope that if you're able, that you will take it, that you will say that yes and know that there will be no regrets. And the way that I would love to put a pin in this conversation for now, at least, it happens to be, um, I know that this will be released later, but it is October 6th. And in 1917, Fannie Lou Hamer was born on this day. And I just wanted to end with two quotes. Um, from her I think that it's appropriate to all that we were sharing and talking about and one quote she says is this America the land of the free and the home of the brave where we have to sleep with our telephones off the hooks because our lives be threatened daily because we want to live as decent human beings in America and the second and final quote is one that I sure most people are familiar with and that is nobody's free until everybody's free so whatever comfort you may even feel as white women whatever makes you want to rest on your laurels because things aren't that bad for you you're really not even free yeah you're not free until everybody's free and this is an opportunity to take another step toward that freedom so thank you for sharing your stories, for being here, your humanity, your honesty. And I'm so glad that Speaking of Racism is back. <laughs> so please make Me sure too. that you all continue to listen. And there's going to be some more great conversations this year. Thank you, Patty. Thank you, ladies. Hi, everyone. This is Tina Strawn. Today's conversation was incredibly powerful and insightful into their experiences and the way that they um, moved through, made the decision to go on a legacy trip and how that affected their lives afterwards. And as the founder of Legacy Trips, I just wanted to take a few moments to give a little bit of context about what Legacy Trips are and also how you can join us on an upcoming legacy trip in 2023. Legacy trips are anti-racism experiences 
where we visit various historical locations around the country and coming up in 2023 in a few other countries where we are utilizing spiritual practices as well as immersion and community and Black leadership to examine our own relationship to white supremacy and racism and do the inner work, the self-reflection that's required to affect both personal and collective change. I founded Legacy Trips in 2018. And so as we are approaching our fourth year, we have completed 14 trips. And the primary feedback I receive about these trips is how transformational they are for people's personal anti-racism and anti-oppression journeys. So just to let you know a little bit more detail about what legacy trips actually entail, um, our primary and signature legacy trip experience takes place in Alabama. We spend the majority of our time in Montgomery, where we visit the lynching memorial and its official name is the National Memorial for Peace and Justice. And we also visit the Legacy Museum from Enslavement to Mass Incarceration. Both of those are projects of the Equal Justice Initiative founded by Brian Stevenson. And we also visit Selma and we walk across the Edmund Pettus Bridge. We have recently added to the Legacy Trip experience going to visit the Mothers of Gynecology Museum, honoring the three young Black girls who were the subjects of the experiments of J. Marion Sims, a white slave owner who is known as the founder and father of gynecology. And to honor the stories of Betsy, Lucy, and Anarka. Um, this museum uplifts their names and shares their stories in an incredibly remarkable and impactful way. And so that is now also a part of Legacy Trips. In addition to visiting these spaces, these weekends and these trips are also facilitated by a Black educator, activists, advocates who do work in the anti-racism space, in the racial and social justice space. Each trip is centered around topics and themes such as gratitude and grounding, truth and power, um, grief and healing, and community, connection, activism. These are all things that we explore, um, as well as talking about how can we be a part of the change that we wish to see in the world. So I hope that you have enjoyed this conversation about um, legacy trips and these particular women's experiences walking through um, both Montgomery and Selma, Alabama and these various spaces. If you would like for in more information, I invite you to visit our registration page, which is where you can get um, all of the information about what Legacy Trips involves, as well as the upcoming dates, um, the facilitators, um, as well as get information about the three new trips that we are adding in 2023. In January, we will begin 
the year in Jamaica for Legacy Trips Jamaica, which is themed, Are We Free Yet? And it is also a part of the book launch of my upcoming book, Are We Free Yet? The Black Queer Guide to Divorcing America. And that takes place January 13th through 18th and spaces are available. Registration is open. In July of 2023, um, by request, as I've received this request many times through these past couple of years, we are going to be holding a family legacy trips. And this will take place in Philadelphia and will be appropriate for families with kids who are between the ages of nine and 14. Information uh, and registration for the family legacy trip will be open um, by the end of the fall. So keep an eye out for that. And then we will finish the year with Legacy Trips Costa Rica, which will take place in November. Also registration for that trip will open up at the end of the fall. And that trip will be exclusively for the black and brown community of women and femmes. Also, every month I host a free informational call called the Legacy Trips Connect Call. I invite you to sign up for that. That is the call where I will go over the details of what we um, experience. I go over the full agenda of a legacy trip and I answer any of your questions. Those calls happen at the last Sunday of every month. Again, they are free and you can register for that. Visit our Instagram page over at Speaking of Racism. Go to the link in our bio. That's where you will find both the registration page for Legacy Trips as well as how to sign up for the upcoming Connect Call at the end of the month. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time. And thank you to Grapes for the music. The song is I Don't Know 